0: Today I have with me the matriarch of the frugal family. She shares with me her wisdom on money management, organic food versus locally grown food, issues regarding parenting, which I'm not very qualified to speak on but it was really interesting finding out about anyway. We even discussed the plastic pollution problem, and on all these topics, and a whole host of others, she gives some great expert advice and tips on how we can affect change on an individual level but also on a global scale, influencing government and big business. She was a lovely person to speak to, someone trying to make a change and influence as many people as she can on her journey. So without further ado, here's Claire Lyons. Claire, thank you very much for being on the Fascinate podcast. Can you just tell us who is in the Frugal Family? What's it about and how did the idea come about?
1: Yeah, so like lots of things, I probably wouldn't call it that now if I started again. But when we started, I was giving up a job, quite a good job, and as a family, that was a decision we made all together. So we'd only had, we'd just had another baby, so she didn't get a massive vote. <laughs> um, but we spoke to the children, and, and we spent a lot of time thinking, how would we survive, I suppose, financially? We're very lucky, you know, we, we're not on the breadline or anything. But it was a big drop in our income. And so we were going to become a frugal family. That's sort of how we started talking about ourselves. We were going to have to be careful and thoughtful. And I started doing lots of research on you know ways to save money and ways to do things cheaply and everything I came across made my inner green eco tree hugging voice screech loudly and saying no don't do that it's really cheap but it goes against all of your values Mm. and that sort of started us really having lots and lots of conversations about where we were and what we were doing so the frugal families all of us I suppose we're all little families who could do things differently our particular family is me and my husband and we've been together a really long time so um, we get to be very honest and frank with each other uh, and we now have four children and a dog a very naughty dog who also (laughs) takes up a lot of my attention
0: and you mentioned that you gave your kids uh, an input in this how do you go about doing that? Because that's quite quite a grown-up decision to make, really.
1: I think it's really important. So I, my professional background was in mental health and personal development and I only work with adults. Nearly all of the adults I work with, had they had different skills given to them younger, I think probably wouldn't have ended up in my groups. Not all of them, but a significant number. I think it's really important that we teach children all sorts of skills, that they're very capable of managing, as young as we feel, they're ready, really. So, the choice for my children that I felt was meaningful to them and that they could manage, I'd never, I think it's really important we don't give adult issues to children yeah. because they can't deal with them, or, nor should they. Um, but things like when mummy was working, they went to a childminder after school three nights a week and they loved her and, and that was fine. They were all very happy. So, one of the things that would change if mummy doesn't go back to work is that mummy would do the school run and where were they in that? And interestingly, one child was like, Oh, I would miss her so much. You know, we love her and we love playing at her house. It was only for an hour. And another child was like, That would be the best thing in my life if you picked me up from school every day. That would be exactly what I want. So we had to talk through those sorts of issues, things that affected them that they understood. Ultimately, all decisions are made by the adults because we're the adults and that's our job but it's really important to get their input because if both of them had said we, we love going to the child mine and we don't care if you ever pick us up again from school that would have had an impact actually maybe I was worrying about things that I didn't need to
0: yeah.
1: um so it's it's always useful to get their input because they always have really you know they see things from their perspective and as adults we have so many things on our minds
0: and you feel like you've been effective in the decision making because of their contributions?
1: Definitely, even if it's helped us to to just do something a little bit differently, their impact has always been. You can probably hear the dog in the background. Um, <laughs> their impact's always been useful because. Um, I don't, I hope, I don't pander to kids, I don't make 400 different meals based on whether or not they like this food this week. Sure. But I do think that, you know, happy kids make for happier parents and vice versa. So we do try to acknowledge. I mean, it was the kids this year, we didn't have Christmas presents, which shocks a lot of people. Um, right. And how, how did the kids <laughs> that? was that? actually oh. their decision. So we um we save money every month, to sort of fund Christmas, there's six of us in our little family. And I looked at this sum of money we had saved and the idea of spending it all on another load of plastic, you know, dolls and Lego and things just made me feel a bit uneasy. So we sat down all together and I said, look, this is the amount of money and I love, 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 love Christmas. So I'm happy to spend it on things that you guys feel that you need. Or we could do something else with it. And so we could have got a Merlin pass and had adventures all year or we could have, um, I don't know. But I just wanted us to think about it. We could have spent it all on presents, that was fine as well. But my daughter actually said, is it enough for us to have a holiday? And that's what we did instead. So we didn't have any Christmas presents between the six of us. Um, we had a week away That's brilliant. Um, instead with the same amount of money. So it didn't cost us any more I think if you ask the questions you'll often get interesting answers.
0: You do often find as well at Christmas that you you're looking for a present and you just buy something because you need to get a present. Totally. And it might not really be used ever but it's it's the appreciation of getting something or giving something.
1: Yeah, and I think you know and I want to teach them values around, you know, being grateful and you know, we were very thoughtful in what we bought for others. And they're very much sort of part of that. And they made quite a few things for relatives. Whether the relatives <laughs> fully appreciate them uh, is another story. But um, I think it's it's trying to move away from just stuff, you know, just having stuff because that's what we do at this time of year. We, we give each other things yeah, and just be a bit more thoughtful about it, really.
0: Before you were talking about the relationship between the money and like your environmental factors as well. You were saying that it's quite expensive to live in a more ecologically friendly way.
1: I think that was definitely my perception. I think my reality is not so not so much that way. But I think I think it's lots of our perceptions. That, it's definitely you know, my perception. Yeah, yeah, that you know, if you want to eat organic and you want everything to be um, plastic-free, then it's going to cost more. And and obviously there are elements of that uh, completely. So what I now think about is playing for the long game. Okay. So I could buy for really cheap versions of something or I could buy four more expensive ones but they will last me much longer and that for me is playing the long game. Now sometimes we just don't have the money up front to do that so we'll make decisions where we're at but we've started with a lot of our purchases to try and plan ahead or to try and kind of predict what we might need in the future and think about how we're going to manage it. The big thing for us is not buying new Okay. So buying pre loved, buying second hand, has a massive financial benefit and a massive environmental benefit because, you know, we're just not creating those virgin products from virgin materials. So that's kind of the biggest, simplest way to start is to just source as much as you possibly can second hand.
0: I think that, that would make a big difference. But for things like food, you can't really always make those choices. So if you go to any supermarket, you'll find a, a pack of three peppers, for example, in a plastic bag. And if you were to buy three individual peppers, that actually works out more expensive. Yes. I, I buy that because, it, you know, money's on your mind.
1: Sure. I mean, that has to be tackled, I think, in a you know, on a larger scale than just me taking off the plastic, you know, and having an argument with my local store manager, although that is effective. So Is I think it, that's taking kind of- <laughs> from experience. <there? laughs> yes, I think uh, what people don't always realise about supermarkets, although they're these huge conglomerates, you know, multinational companies, individual store managers actually have huge um, autonomy within their store, and so if you get to know them and and kind of get on friendly terms with them and ask questions and email them or tweet them in a really positive way. It can be really interesting what they're willing to do as the store manager to make changes if they feel that that's beneficial. It has to be beneficial to the company. But people who are going to shop there more is beneficial to the company. So it's a a useful...
0: That's great. I've never thought of doing that. Actually getting in touch with the store manager Store managers
1: actually have quite a lot of um, say in how they run their individual store. I always think it's worth having conversations with people because... You know, it might be something they're working on anyway, but they're waiting for X number of people to request it. I've been told that before. You know, they need demand before that they can affect change. It might be little things like every store discounts its food at different times of the day. Okay. So it might just be worth finding out when your local Sainsbury's does its mega discount. And that's when you go and buy your fruit and veg, if, if you're able to, kind of with you know, all of the other things that life is throwing at you that day. I mean, we have a veg box, so we don't have any plastic at the moment on our fruit and veg. The, the way I saved the hugest amount of money in terms of food was by meal planning. Um, that dropped our bill at least 30%, I would say, just by planning what we're going to eat, not buying food we don't need.
0: Is that reducing the amount of food that you waste and end up having to throw away? definitely, definitely.
1: And it's also thinking about food waste in terms of... So we have quite a lot of food waste that's food we've cooked and then a fussy child decides they don't want to eat it. (laughs) So it's not a food waste as in it's rotting in the fridge. It's sort of cooked food and we can't recycle cooked food in um, this county council. They don't have a food collection. So that's pain. That's mm. something I haven't figured out yet what to do with. We are possibly getting a wormery um, which will deal with our kind of peelings and fruit uh, waste and that kind of thing. Um, you as in here our family host. yes. Um, so yeah so I'm speaking to um, the Urban Worm which is a local uh, wormery woman. <laughs> I don't know what her full title is about that because that would help us with with half-eaten apples and that kind of thing. So um, meal planning definitely saved us the most, and there are quite a few services now. They're mostly apps. You know, you need a certain technology to access them around food sharing. So Olio and and Too Good to Go are two that we use.
0: How does food sharing work?
1: So Too Good to Go is a really good example of hotels, pubs, cafes, restaurants who, at the end of the day you can go and collect any food left over for a nominal fee. So the Ibis chain of hotels, I think it's at 11 o'clock in the morning at, well, when bre- they clear out their breakfast leftovers and you can go and collect a tray of croissants and Danish pastries and whatever for two quid, which Mr Frugal's office does quite often. <laughs> um, so, so there's other ways to kind of think around food. And the other thing we do is look at discount food. The big one in the UK is approved foods who buy short-date foods and obviously sell them then um, for less. I have found with that, um, I don't tend to buy brand names. So one way to save money um is to um what we call downgrade your shopping. So there's about five levels of food shopping from the premium brands down to the value brand. There's sort of five stages and every time you go down you save about 10 to 20%. So if you can start to downgrade some of the product I mean a lot of people have very specific foods that they have to have that brand. I've broken that a little bit uh, in our family, <laughs> but there's one particular thing that comes in a tin that no one will uh, brand change on. Um, that's one way to save money. And what I found in approved foods is they sell the, the most expensive brands at a discount, but that isn't always cheaper than the basics version. So I just have to be a bit cautious when I when I look at that.
0: Do you ever boycott certain brands because of their policy? Food waste, or their policy around plastic, or their environmental policies.
1: Yeah, well, I started boycotting Nestle when I was about eight, um, so that's been a lifelong um, boycott, and that's quite hard because so many of these big companies, you know, buy and sell smaller companies within their umbrella, yeah. and you can't always keep up with who owns who. I, I do think that's quite a challenge.
0: What was your initial reason for boycotting Nestle?
1: Oh, so there's something called the Baby Milk Action Group. And I was very influenced by their research. So um, some of the big brands who sell baby powder, milk powder, um, have quite shocking practices in Africa where a lot of babies who could be breastfed healthily are encouraged to try baby milk. Mm. And then, of course, the cost of baby milk and the lack of clean water to make it up um, and various other things, so for the health of the mother um make it a pretty shoddy pretty shoddy practice so I started boycotting them as part of the baby milk action, and I think if I boycotted everything <laughs> that <laughs> that has a less than wonderful environmental or or kind of ethical values, I'm not sure what would be left to be honest I'm kind of conscious, but I'm also looking after my own mental health in terms of how practical my life is and I think there are some supermarkets that are doing much better than others a few that have said they're not going to have single-use plastic by x or they're going to have all recycled products by x and um I kind which of, which are those then? yeah so Iceland is one of the ones that's sort of forging ahead with talking about lots of action that they're going to take okay um So I kind of watch that and I monitor that. I take some of it with a pinch of salt because, you know, their orangutan campaign at Christmas, you know, was essentially to sell orangutan cuddly toys. It's great to get the message out there and I'm sure loads of people thought about something that perhaps they wouldn't have ordinarily. But I don't think it's all coming from a place of pure sort of altruism. I think it's, you know, they're businesses, aren't they, and they're trying to make money, so... Yeah, sure. Um, which is fine, which is absolutely fine. They do have to. Um, yeah, yeah. We, you know, it's what most people are trying to do. So I think it's trying to find a balance between you know, things that you feel very personally about and, and how you could affect change on that. I do feel as consumers, we have lost a little bit of our oomph around the power we have. You know, I do think we can make more demands. You know, companies are giving us what they think we'll buy.
0: Why do you think that is? Do you think we're too distracted with other problems?
1: Yeah, I, I think most people just want it easy, don't they? I mean, that, I think that's quite normal behaviour. You know, you know, I go into a shop and that's what there is, so that's what I'll get. Hmm. And I think actually, you know, if enough people said, it's oh, not what I want, um, the shops quite quickly would get in what would sell. So I think as consumers, we've come quite passive.
0: So do you think we're just buying the cheapest stuff and not really thinking about the, the impact it might have?
1: Or conversely, I think a lot of this greenwashing is going on. So we're buying you know, the organic whatever one um, and paying the premium for that without any real thought as to whether it is any better.
0: If it says eco in the title, it must be yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. I, I
1: know, and I have this constantly, you know, our veg box has sort of British veg, but obviously fruit from, you know, we don't grow a huge range of exotic fruit in this country. So the apples are local, but but the bananas are not so is it better to have, you know, food that's organic or food that's not in plastic? I don't think there's an answer to that. I think it, you have to go with what you feel more comfortable with. But I think the fact we're talking about them is really important because mm. that it's those discussions and dialogues that hopefully will find resolutions that are workable.
0: I think one of the biggest things for me at the moment that I'm trying to do is reduce the amount of waste that I create. If you just monitor... Mm. The amount of bins that you put out and the amount of even the amount of recycling bins that you put out, you'd be astonished at how much you go through taking a step backwards from that and seeing what you actually buy and how much packaging your avocados come in. they don't need that plastic bag and the plastic container that they come in as well. A little bit more thought needs to come in um, a little bit earlier. Uh, what did you think when you heard about China stopping taking all of our plastic mm-hmm. recycling?
1: I think all of us, you know, we, we assume, you know, if we put something in the green bin, then that's sorted, isn't it? We, that's yeah. that where our responsibility for it ends. And actually, I was shocked. I've been in touch with our council to kind of talk to them. I'm curious about why we do things here that we don't do in other places. And I was shocked how much of recycling doesn't is contaminated because people aren't very careful about what they throw in there. And
0: then it gets put in landfill anyway. So it
1: doesn't get recycled anyway. So all this good, you know, one household is doing could be totally wrecked by their next-door neighbour. I think, you know, asking those questions and finding out is is really important. I, I, I don't blame China at all for not wanting um, our rubbish. Yeah, sure. I think um, I think recycling is wonderful, and we should definitely do that as part of the current system but I do think ultimately we need to come to a place where we don't have as much that needs recycling. It's absolutely about that point of as you're saying, you know, let's not produce it in the first place to need to then recycle. I mean recycle is better than bin, but let's get to a place where we just don't produce this stuff that ultimately isn't required. And we try to reuse before we recycle you know, so we're just yeah. kind of keeping down those levels. But it is it is hard. And I do think we're having children around makes it extra hard because pretty much everything they're going to get offered and everything designed specifically for children comes in a brightly coloured plastic something or other and mm. helping them to make good decisions but also not burdening them, I think, with never have fun <laughs> you can never eat a sweet again because it comes in a plastic wrapper that that's not a great reality for them so again it's just always about balance and what's better than you know it's better to have that sweet than that one that one comes in a cardboard tube or that one comes in a paper wrapper i did start buying sweets in like a massive jar <laughs> if there's one thing they all like and then you can just decant so
0: that'd be dangerous in my house <laughs> I'd just get through it in a weekend yeah
1: you have to know your know yourself I'm always thinking you know what's what's the best option within what we've got here and that's the best we can do
0: I have been thinking a little bit recently about how we used to get milk delivered to our houses and we always used to get those pint glass bottles once you finished with them there's no waste they wash it and deliver another pint of milk in it it seems like quite a an ecological way to, to go about things. I was, I've been thinking that it would be a great idea if supermarkets did this a similar sort of thing. If you could engineer a system where we had a few different sized glass bottles or glass jars and we could put, for example, yogurts in it or, you know, you buy peanuts in a plastic sort of foily bag. If you could take these things back every time you, you finish with them, you can just have some standard sizes that all supermarkets use. I just feel like that would reduce a lot of waste, but I don't know how that system could be in place.
1: Well, I think if you follow... I'm trying to think who's got the best list. I don't want to upset anybody uh, that I follow. Um, (laughs) I think it's Pebble Magazine, probably. I have the best list of zero-waste shops all around the UK, and most big cities now have one. Uh, It might not be that easy to get to, and it might you know be a bit of faffing about to to organise it, but I think they are coming. I think they are... I think there are lots more options for that kind of thing. Loads of people I know have gone back to the milkman um, to get their milk and quite often other things as well from the milkman. You might get eggs or bread or, you know, some of them have, you know, created a whole business, delivery business around um, a daily offering. I
0: have noticed though that some of them still deliver milk in a plastic bottle yeah and that's cheaper than their glass alternative
1: and I think it probably depends if it's coming direct from a dairy Mm. or whether it's someone who's buying milk you know wholesale and selling it on um so again you'd have to kind of do your research as to what exactly you were signing up for I'm not keen on zero waste as a concept because it feels far beyond my reach we talk about low waste living as being a reality we can strive for. Hmm. Um but I think the zero waste movement is quite powerful and as I say those shops are popping up if you look on the map. We have two within half an hour of us. Um What
0: was that website again?
1: It's the Pebble magazine. Pebble magazine. They've done some great sort of ecological city research so you can look up your local city and see what's going on. But they definitely have a zero waste uh, map. of of all the shops where you take your own containers and that's often cheaper as well which is how it should be it should be cheaper um
0: does does it actually work out like that
1: i think it depends what you buy some things are cheaper because supermarkets buy them in such huge bulk Mm. and then rebrand them you know repackage them so i think for some things supermarkets will probably always be cheaper but i think the things that they don't buy in bulk perhaps you know dried beans or the more kind of Unusual things it's not always more expensive, yeah to come to these sort of smaller places
0: that'd be great actually. I, I just can't help but think if a large uh, supermarket like Tesco, for example, were to take this idea of zero waste or reduced waste, they would be able to implement it at a much cheaper uh, much more available price to everyone, and people wouldn't have to go out of their way to try and find one of these zero waste shops,
1: yeah, I think that I think the biggest barrier all of us have, and some of us are, are perhaps fighting more than others, is just convenience. Yeah. You know, I have all these wonderful ideas of getting rid of the tumble dryer and pegging my washing out every day, and my reality just isn't there yet. And perhaps it is when we're not, when everyone's a bit older and the number of clothes is fewer or the number of bed changes is fewer. Um, but my reality at the moment is just not that. It... And so I think it's the same with our food shopping, you know, we dream of this beautiful meal we're going to cook from scratch, you know, and then we have a rotten day at work and the bus is late and it starts to rain and we go in and grab something that's more convenient than mm. that. And, and so what I don't want is for people to feel so overwhelmed by the prospect of what we need to do that it stops us doing anything, you know. So if one element of my meal wasn't in plastic, if... Some of the fruit I buy is more expensive, but so I save on one bit. But I get plastic, but I, you know, have less plastic on another bit, and I spend that little bit more. Or it's a yellow sticker item or something. You know, it, I've made a balance there that's mm. that's realistic for me to keep doing. And what I've found, or, or my personal experience has been, that once I started this whole process of thinking before I spend and thinking before I buy or whatever is that that has totally snowballed. And because I've started having that discussion out loud, I've even, I mean, Mr Frugal, who is not uh, an environmental ambassador, <laughs> um, you know, even he's like, oh, I wonder if there's a wooden version of that, or, you know, oh, I wonder if we could get that on free cycle, or I wonder if I could borrow that. And it's just a psyche that once, you've, once your brain's there... yeah. Um, it happens really naturally, and things, it doesn't feel such an effort to do that anymore. I do a, an impact report every month of kind of what we've been up to. And for December, I thought, well, I'll do one for the whole year. Let's look at, you know, all the changes we've made through the year. None of them massive, none of them life changing. But actually, if I look at it over the year as a family, we have slowly moved. That shift has actually been quite impressive i was quite impressed with this um, because if you add up all those little things we have made a massive impact in the the resources that we're using and all of those little things that you know weren't very expensive to, didn't cost anything actually have slowly slowly meant that that we have had less and less throw away i mean i started i do an interview series every week and and that's been really inspiring because i did feel overwhelmed you know, I should be doing all these things. And I just didn't know the should and the reality were quite far apart from each other. So just trying one thing, a little thing, and making that normal, and then working on the next thing was a a way I felt I could. And now I look back, has been really successful.
0: Yeah, you're right. When you look at the whole picture, there's so much that you should, that you know, you should be doing. But Then, there is so much that it becomes a little bit daunting, mm. and you feel like oh i 'm just an individual i can 't really make that much difference anyway, and carry on buying the same products
1: or or it, you know if if we had done all of those things up front in January, that would have been mega expensive you know if we'd have if we 'd have changed everything all at once, but actually, as it 's turned out, we slowly got through all our shampoo and it, all of its colorful bottles. And then we just had to buy one shampoo bar for all six of us. Yeah, we all used the same one. Whereas before, everyone had to have their own special superhero or cartoon character on their own private shampoo. So although initially that would seem an expense, more expensive thing, as it turned out, by the time we got there, it wasn't. That got rid of we don't have plastic in the bathroom
0: anymore. I I do feel like there is a shift in most people's i suppose psyche most people's attitudes to things you see a lot more uh, vegan restaurants for example the rise in the popularity of electric vehicles over the uh, just the last few years really if you know a decade ago if you'd have said electric car to somebody that have brushed you off that's not gonna it's never gonna happen but now that it's a, an actual thing a lot of people are behind it and think it's a great idea because they've maybe realized that there's a, a big environmental impact that our current cars are very uh carbon footprint heavy if that's a yeah yeah totally it's having on on our environment i
1: think real change is affected when things happen from both ends so they happen in a a kind of governmental way you know emissions your mot emissions change and suddenly your car is not going to pass its mot you know that has a massive impact in, in how we think about um things so it has to come top down but i also think again, that kind of consumer power, it's nice when it comes bottom up as well. I mean, the whole idea of of taking your own coffee cup to these big chains, you know, that was pretty much social change. That, has, that didn't come from any government department. That was people making it socially unacceptable to throw away a coffee cup and to make you feel uncomfortable about that. You know, when government starts to affect change, and people themselves do, I think none of us want to to be the weirdo yeah. <laughs> you know I, I think if you'd got an electric car 10 years ago you would have been the talk of the town you know the, the real oddball and I think now you perhaps wouldn't feel like that you know people might question it or might ask you about for statistics that people like to talk about with cars but you know you wouldn't be a complete freak and and so it's become socially acceptable and I suspect over time I imagine when my children are learning to drive in kind of 10 years it might have become socially unacceptable to have a diesel car it's going that way it, at the moment. It is heading it? that way. And government, I hope, will also have put in place things that make it very difficult to do the you know, the worst option. So when those things start to happen together, I do think that does affect change quite rapidly. What I'm conscious of or want to be careful of is that that need for convenience doesn't mean we find a quick fix that makes us feel good, but in actual fact is no better than before so there's the sort of sudden flurry of bamboo cups uh, onto the market you know well they're all being mass produced in China Um, they're all being flown from China I don't know the factories that producing those are necessarily got the best worker uh, conditions and pay and all those sorts of things so it's trying to remember that I think if we're interested in the world being a good positive place that we need to think about all elements of that. I think that's where I I came to with the budgeting because, you know, you can throw money at something but that isn't necessarily all I wanted to do. I wanted them to be things that sat happy with my values as well.
0: I think that's where government can really make a change, though, because people's budgets does make a huge difference on what they spend their money on. If the new government policy is to raise the the target emission, or lower the target emission levels even, then that's going to make it more, much more expensive for people to live in a, in a way where that you have a high environmental impact. The plastic bag tax that was introduced, I think it's a great idea, but um, I can't help but think it's a drop in the ocean, because you see so much plastic packaging, but that's not taxed. But then the plastic bag that, that you end up putting it in at the end is taxed. And it has made a difference. Like, the, the amount of plastic bags that use is, you know, it's dropped. So if that same tax was able to be applied before getting to the checkout...
1: My personal opinion, and as I say, this might not be founded in anything other than my head, my personal opinion is actually big business have far more of a role to play than government. How so? So I think if Tesco demanded that whoever they buy their rice from... Put it in a paper bag. They would do that.
0: But then that's us that's got because the demand the Tesco, Tesco have isn't the it?
1: power or any of the big supermarkets. If they wanted to reduce plastic packaging, they really could. It's yes, it's us demanding that of them. And I think government could have an impact in that, definitely. But I actually think money makes the world go round, sadly. <laughs> um, and so it I does. think it's big business that will that could sort that out. Much quicker.
0: For a long time, I've really not... It's not that I've not valued money, but I've tried to make money uh, not the focus of my life. Mm -hmm. Where I've seen other friends uh, strive for that job with the car, getting the big house and all that sort of thing. I feel like happiness maybe doesn't come through that. So I've done jobs that I found interesting and that I've enjoyed. So, yeah, money does make the world go round, but its I feel like money's a...
1: I think on a personal level, I have spent many, many years discussing with people on my courses, how do you define success? And I think so many of us define it on someone else's measuring stick. You know, someone's told us what we will do or have or live or drive or eat when we're successful and so we'll have measured how we feel we're doing in life by someone else's standard and I think that's hugely dangerous because what they find or experience as success will probably not be what you will feel is success and the best example was a student that got divorced and for her this was the ultimate success it had been a very unhappy marriage and she thought she'd done the most awesome thing and now two people could go and live new lives and hopefully have lots of joy. But her parents, who were from an older generation and uh, were Irish Catholic, felt that divorce was a huge failure. And so two people can feel exactly opposite about the same event, but what's really important is how she feels about it. You know, for her that was a big success. And I think... A lot of us strive for things because we think they'll make us happy. And money's in there, isn't it? If I had enough money to have lots of holidays or if I had enough money to drive a certain car or if I had enough money to wear certain clothes or buy certain products for the house, then I would be happy. And I think um, a lot of us reach a certain age. (laughs) Um, And you're a lot younger than me, so it's nice you got there sooner. Um, Where we realise that actually we can be happy... And then those things lose all their importance because what what um, makes us happy usually is not something we can buy
0: yeah
1: i 'm not saying it can 't make life a lot simpler or easier or luxurious or all those things, but um I guarantee it can 't make us happy and this is where we came to you know we 'd lost all sense of our values we'd had we 'd had children very quickly, sort of in quick succession, we had four children under seven we 'd had a big change of work so my husband's job i left one career for another and then I was saying that I, I was going to leave my job as well and we just lost sight of all those values in the just the hoi polloi of life you know we worked and we did this and we ate and we did food shopping and we had children and we took them to various places and it was just really busy and it and in all of that busyness we'd totally lost sight of what was really really important to us and so although um, it was a slight financial suicide for me to leave that job. I think it was really powerful for our family because we did get that sheet of paper out and go back a step.
0: Yeah, your children are going to be growing up with massively different values.
1: Yes, I think so. It was really refreshing to bring back in some of the things that had gone a slightly off path, and a lot of them were our values, and one of them was that environmental edge.
0: Do you think there's a link between your maybe your mental health and your happiness levels and doing your bit for the environment.
1: Yeah, I do. I think there's some fundamental physical things. So I think the more time we spend out in nature is better for our mental health and physical health as well. I think the more we notice the beauty around us has an impact on our mental health, positive mental wellbeing. And I think those two things naturally lead to a kind of greater respect for the environment. I think there is a link, definitely, between our physical environment. There's also a link internally. So if we live in um, physical situations that we're not comfortable in, that will have a detrimental effect on our mental well-being. So our environment definitely has an impact in the smaller sense of your living room and in the bigger sense of the world around you, yeah.
0: You said, like, getting into nature as well. Do you feel like there's a disparity between what people know that they should do and what people are actually doing? Like a lot of people live in cities and, you know, for 99% of their days, they just see cities and concrete. They don't get out into the into the fields, into the woods, into nature.
1: I think you can bring nature to you. I don't think you have to, you know, walk the dales to, to fully understand the beauty of nature. I think you can have a spider plant on your desk mm. um, and that will do you the world of good. So I don't think... You have to leave the city um, to love nature or wildlife or whatever. I think a lot of us think it's another thing to do. You know, it's another thing on the to-do list, water the plant. Um, you know, feed the pet or whatever. And when things become on our to-do list, we kind of stop loving them and, yeah. and start resenting them a bit. So it's, it's finding a way to make that a natural thing for you. I mean, it might be something really simple, like you could offer to walk the dogs at the local shelter so you definitely have a dog walk once a week for half an hour. It really helps them out, and it makes you do something that ordinarily you probably wouldn't bother to have a walk. So it, it could be something quite small-scale. It could just be getting that plant for your desk to just reconnect a little bit.
0: For me, I needed a little bit more time. I live in London, so I have, I'm constantly surrounded by concrete, I suppose. But London,
1: you see, I used to live in London. I went to university in London. It's a very green city, there, um, <laughs> there are parks there are parks yeah, around. Yeah, there's loads of green. I we make a choice. Do I choose to eat my lunch at my desk or am I going to choose to just have five minutes outside? Now, there are times in London when five minutes outside is not uh, fresh air at all. <laughs> um, so we need to be thoughtful about that. But um, I think even in London, you can connect with nature without going massively out of your ordinary routine. I think it's lovely to have longer you know, to explore. I mean, the UK is the most beautiful place, I think. So to have a staycation and uh, and visit some of these beautiful landscapes we have. But I don't think you have to do that.
0: That's fair enough. For me personally, I think I do need that sometimes. I, when I'm in London and I've stayed there for too long, I think maybe because I grew up in a in a small village in the countryside, I have that need to get back to it and to look around and feel the space.
1: Yeah, I, I think that. London has a certain pressure to it because there's so much you should be doing <laughs> yeah there's so many theaters and there's so many um shows and there's so many you know amazing restaurants the kind of pace of life is definitely faster mm. definitely faster in London I mean we, we it always makes us laugh whenever we visit we have a lot of friends in London and you know they don't eat till really late <laughs> because by the time they've got home and had that commute and changed so you know they'll say oh you know, we'll meet you at this restaurant at eight and we're like oh we'll be going to bed at nine you know <laughs> <laughs> um so i i think it it can become a, quite a different lifestyle
0: yeah, i think the pressure for people to work as well has grown because when, when you talk about a, a working day you say nine to five but invariably it's not a nine to five anymore it's a eight sometimes before until yeah, seven yeah. You know? and
1: again i, I think that's you know, it's kind of a culture that's developed in relatively recent history that, that we work these long hours, and that's how we show commitment. You know, when we eat our lunch at our desk, and that's yeah. how we just get that extra little bit in. I mean, I used to commute from Cambridge down to London, so I had an additional journey. Yeah. There are times when we have to just review that. Is the tail wagging the dog, really? and Nice expression. Yeah, is, is there a different way for us to achieve our goals is there a different way around and sometimes that'll be quite a dramatic moment where you go okay I'm really not doing what I thought I would be doing or what really sings to me.
0: Yeah like for yourself you didn't have I suppose the time to follow what your actual values were.
1: Yeah because I you know I went to university and that had lots of debt (laughs) and so I had to get a job so I just took the first job you know that was a reasonable wage in London and then London wages were better than Cambridge wages so I commuted that was still a better option financially and then you're kind of stuck because the first job you get is all your experience for the next job you go for and so yeah I think it's very very easy to sort of find yourself you know doing a job you're very competent at quite probably But it was never your first love. It was never what you thought you wanted to do. Not that we can all be astronauts and ballerinas necessarily, but um, I think it's useful sometimes to just think, is there a way that I can... You know, this is my reality, so I can't just give it all up and live in an ashram. But is there a way... Is there any jiggle room there? Is there any way I can add in a bit more of me, you know, Mm. to keep my spirit?
0: I think something that goes hand-in-hand with the busy life that cities like London provide you with is the idea of consumerism and retail therapy in your experience how can people avoid falling into those traps of i need to buy this to make myself feel better
1: yeah, I mean, you know, you're drawing from an empty well, aren't you? When you've got to that place where you know a new pen will give you more joy than your own company for half an hour. So,
0: oh, it's clothes quite a lot. Oh, of the yeah, time. clothes
1: yeah. and and things. I I think a lot of us think. Uh, often it comes back to convenience. You know, well, if I had a machine that did that, chopped that, or, or squeezed that, then I wouldn't have to do it, and so my life would be lovely because yeah. I'd have this time back. Most of us are after time. I have a list of free things I enjoy doing. You need that somewhere quite prominent. So when you have that urge to go online and buy that thing, you need a screensaver or something that stops you and says, you know what, you really enjoy doing these other things too. And you might start to choose from that list What are the examples for you then? Oh, so for me, it would be read a book. I never, ever get to sit and read a book. So that's a complete joy for me. (laughs) This is going to sound a bit ridiculous, but have a shower on my own, that would be a really joyful thing. Phone a friend. How many people do we have in our lives that we haven't spoken to for more than six months? You know, But we consider them really good friends and we, we really value them you know well let's get in touch with them definitely yeah um so you know it, it could be a list it might be making something you might have a hobby or something that you never quite get around to doing you know it could be something quite practical so you know I know I always feel good when my books are in order and not in the wrong place and so <laughs> I might just take 10 minutes to do that and I'll feel better when that's done and it would just perhaps distract me from buying a new book that I don't actually need because I've got quite a few on my to be read pile already the other thing to do would be perhaps to give yourself a budget so to give yourself some boundaries and some people do that with cash so you can go out shopping but you're only taking 20 pounds with you in a separate purse you know you haven't got your cards or anything available and so that limits you to five pounds or whatever you feel is appropriate for you or you can only shop in a secondhand shop you know or you can only shop in you can only go in three shops or something. Sometimes it's helpful for people to have... I've worked a lot with hoarders um, and shopaholics. It can sometimes be helpful to have some sorts of boundaries. But you'll know how you operate the best. So it's being really honest with you know, what motivates you to do that and what's the payback you get from it. Um, so it might actually be... Some people worked really well when people who spent a lot or, or enjoyed buying, purchasing, got that high... From that purchase were actually really good sellers so when they um selected some items that they'd purchased that they didn't really need or hadn't used or weren't as perfect as they thought and sold them they got the same buzz from the sale right. as they got from the purchase it's the same ka but obviously in a much healthier direction so sometimes really good buyers become really good sellers and that might be an outlet for that for that need to purchase things but i think ultimately um, have a cup of tea and then think about it. You know, Just give yourself a moment because nearly all impulse purchases are nothing to do with the thing you're buying.
0: What a great British way to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Have a cup of tea, think about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, just give yeah. yourself the time it takes to you know, make the tea, to boil the kettle or make the tea, and drink the tea. That's probably 10 to 15 minutes, um, depending on how hot you can drink your tea. And that might just be enough time for you to have gone, okay, I don't really need that.
0: It's almost like the mindful approach to <laughs> shopping, just stop and think about it yeah is that is that something that you try and teach people or like, yeah, I mean, I have people?
1: questions so and these are questions I use with the kids, so they're not particularly deep things. One is, how will I feel about this purchase next week, and you can give yourself whatever timeline is useful for you, so you could say next month next year, and you're like will this will this be important to me will yeah. I be glad I bought this?' next week and that's quite powerful one with children because my kids have x amount of money it's not unlimited I don't just buy them whatever they want so we'll go to the charity shop and they'll have their two pounds and I'll say well you you know you can buy that you've got your two pounds but how will you feel if you go to the next shop and there's something you really want there and you've already got this like is this going to trump whatever else you could find so that's quite a good question how will I feel about this I also think just why why am I buying that is it? Do I need it? Do I want it? Is it because I'm cross? Is it because I've had a horrible day? Is it because, you know, someone was rude to me? Um, <laughs> is it because I need to cheer myself up? You know, just be really honest about the why. And that might help you make a different purchase. It might even be simple things like, is that something I can buy in a different shop? Or is that something I can buy secondhand? Is that something I could borrow? Is that something I could swap? So lots of people who have handbag obsessions or shoe obsessions or earring obsessions, you probably have friends with similar similar things, fleece obsessions, walking boot obsessions. Could you all get together and bring a pair or a thing that you don't need or you're happy to swap? And you could all have a new thing, but no one's spent a single penny.
0: Do you think people would get the same, like you were talking about before, the same buzz from the same ka that you would from buying that? <laughs>
1: I guess we're all different. So it's finding what works for you, isn't it? But I would certainly be open. I'd certainly be open to um, just trying different things. To try A lot of it's habit. Uh, You know, so much of our lives we do without even really being conscious of what we're doing. You know, we just have a takeaway on a Friday. That's just how it is. And just by asking a question might just raise that conscious level enough for us to make a different decision. Not even to not have the takeaway, but just to do it consciously. And enjoy it, and say this is my thing that I do, and it's a good thing, and I love it.
0: I'll tell you about the the habit that's been playing on my mind the most that I don't like at the moment with regards to buying is people buying very very short term clothes. So Primark is the sort of number one culprit, I suppose, isn't it? If you can buy a a dress for three pounds or a t-shirt for a couple of pounds, and it's meant to last you two or three or four wares and then you've got to buy a new one yeah and it, it's not just primax some of the higher price shops do it as well i, I suppose the throwaway culture the amount of things that you just go through that you're just constantly throwing out whatever. and
1: this is. is this playing the long game so i have a pair of um vegan doc martins which um i could never have afforded those they were a 30th birthday present
0: how are they vegan
1: Are uh, they're not leather what are what, what they made um, of them? Some material that's vegan. (laughs) I've never... (laughs) um, It's not the pineapple stuff, it's something else. But it's not leather. And um, they were bought for me. I requested them as a birthday present for my 30th birthday. Well, I still wear them. So they are over 10 years old. And they're going strong. I don't wear them all day, every day. I wear them, you know, in the winter. And so although that was an expensive purchase that's lasted a long time. I bought a pair of very very cheap shoes in an emergency moment when something broke and I think they lasted 3 months uh, sure. before they fell apart. So playing the long game I think is about put you know thinking about purchases and how long they're going to last. I think the fast fashion thing is a massive issue. They're the third biggest polluter. Internationally is fashion. I think the problem with fast fashion is we're not just fighting the practicalities of it but it's also the people who who want that who respond to that you know we're fighting a kind of information war as well to help people understand quite how significant a problem it is and a lot of people donate to charity and they feel really good about that so they've got rid of the clothes that they don't want anymore But actually that isn't necessarily solving the problem, in some ways it's creating another problem because there are all these clothes and certainly some countries I've been speaking to, a lot of people involved in in fashion who are, I mean one's living in Rwanda and Rwanda are now refusing textiles from overseas because they want to promote Rwandan Textile makers right. and designers, and so quite a few African countries are now saying we don't want your naff old t-shirts. Actually, <laughs> um, and so the textile industry—it's—it's it's quite a serious situation. I would prefer to buy secondhand, to buy a better quality item that will last longer, or if possible, to buy things made from sustainable um, fabrics and materials. But I don't think I'm the target or you know, I'm not the problem really, because those are already things I do. I think people who need cheap clothing for budgetary reasons are the people that we need to say there's a different way to do this, you know, if if you shop secondhand, you can still get the cheap clothing. But we're not creating these virgin products anymore. The biggest problems actually Primark's a massive one, obviously. They're actually online. So I worked uh interviewed a lady called Tati Moo um Julia who takes a uh, dead stock textiles and makes them into new things. And she was saying that it's a lot of the online retailers. They have such a demand to create these items really fast. So they have to have 600 items out that day, um, but they won't be available tomorrow. That's right. how fast fashion is moving. So it's a massive, massive, massive problem.
0: How do you see that ever being solved then? Is it education of children and how,
1: yes, I think probably, yeah. How do you
0: go about teaching kids good environmental practices?
1: So I have a school assembly I do, which is 20 ways for kids to save the world. And I think, and we do very lightly tackle that on there. And one of them is to be more creative with your clothes. So, you know, if something has a stain on it, rather than get rid of that item, could we make a brooch that goes over that stain or Mm -hmm. could we do some fancy stitching that covers it up or could we cut that t-shirt up and make something else with it could we make toy clothes with it could we do something else um you know instead of needing new shoes every five minutes because you want them in a different color could you make something in the color you like that sticks on that shoe you've already got um it's harder with children because they do grow but it's perhaps thinking less about the throwing things away all the time. Is there any way we can um, reuse that or pass it? Or not necessarily just giving stuff to charity, but actually to another family. So we have a, a sort of chain of people um, in our town. You know, I have these three girls, these ages, and then I know, the next, I know the person who has the younger girl that I pass all of their stuff to. It's perhaps rather than just, you know, well, I've given that to charity, so that's the end of it, thinking about an actual person you could give it to who will actually use it and want it and need it.
0: Are there organisations that are set up to help put people, yeah, to help I mean, put people in touch um, with each other? Yeah, I mean, we
1: have a really, really good um, free cycle group, on um, a Facebook group that's for our... Um, it's supposed to be just for our town, but actually people travel quite a distance. And you just pop it up on there. I've got a bag full of boys' clothes age 10, and it will be gone that yeah. day. Someone will come and pick it up that day. Our school do have a recycle collection so the school raised money my understanding is that that is usable clothes that do get sold really really high-end couture houses burn their dead stock so no one else can possibly get hold of it or use the design or you know make a make a purse out of a whatever fabric they burn it it, yeah so it can't be can't be used so when we think about you know gas and oil and we think about these kind of really big industries that that will have to change i think fashion needs to be a lot higher up on the list than in most people's consciousness
0: i remember reading as well somewhere that plastic from your clothes is the biggest source of plastic or microplastics in the oceans as well because when you wash it you know little microfibers come off it and they they're not picked up by the by the washing machines filters or by the uh, water treatment plants filters and they end up in the oceans we're just sort of adding it into the ecosystem and plastic, it just never breaks down, does it?
1: Yeah, I had a bit of a crisis of confidence around this because one of the changes when we stopped having as much throwaway waste is that we started having more laundry. So if you have all washable, all our bin bags are washable, all our sandwich bags are washable, all our um, cleaning cloths are washable, period products that are washable, all those things, then your washing increases. And I started to feel a bit uncomfortable about that because, you know, I'm, I'm aware of the trying not to do as much laundry. That's one of the things we need to try and do less of. Um, so I did quite a lot of research. And actually, we're always better to wash reusable products than we are to create virgin products, always. And that was good <laughs> to find that out. But what I have thought of is how to make my washing as green as eco as possible so we don't use chemicals anymore we have an eco ball which you can reuse i try not to do as much laundry so we only wash clothes that are dirty and really need washing which still means i have a hideous amount of laundry because um, sure, there's six of guess. us um but you know we have changed sort of how we launder things um i don't wash at such high temperatures it's quite a big one and i haven't got one yet but it's on my wish list is you can get something called a guppy bag so you put your washing in that bag in your washing machine, and that does catch all the microfibers. That's um, all right, I've not so, heard of that. Yeah, there's another make. There's something called a Cora Ball, which does a similar a similar thing. So again, it's kind of there's always you can always do better than. So you do your best, and then you learn something, and you do better. So that's on my list of things.
0: I think the point of the article that I read was that the majority of the the plastic microfibers that come off come off within the first two or three washes. So if you're buying long-term, you wear that T-shirt 100 times as opposed to just four times, then not as much plastic does come off it.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and, and again, if you're buying second-hand, then probably you've reduced already because that item has probably been pre-washed more than once by whoever owned it first. So that's good news, I feel better now. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I do think that what I try to do is sort of tackle something and do my very best and then tackle the next thing. I think if I'd started in January and said, right, Claire, you need to, you know, have a plastic-free bathroom and you need to stop all paper products and you need to change totally how you do this and this and this, I would have found that really overwhelming. So I think by just coming across something... I'm thinking, right, I'm gonna. we're going to move from plastic bottles of shampoo and, and shower gel to this.
0: How do you organise that then? Do you have a list of things that you want to change this week or a list of things that you want to change this month or long-term goals? I haven't
1: been that organised, if I'm honest. I, it's been quite an organic process. Is the, Fluid, that's what I like to call it, it's so a fluid process. <laughs> yeah. I've been very influenced by these people I've interviewed on the Just One Thing. So I interviewed this amazing woman who did 365 days of litter picking and she shared on instagram every day her bag of litter that she'd picked and i spoke to her and you know she's just an and i mean this in the most positive sense she's just an ordinary person doing something extraordinary and so i was like well that's a really simple thing that doesn't cost any money and so now and whenever we have a plastic bag like a food bag like bagels or wraps or bread or something that's the plastic bag we have a whole drawer full and we have one with us for our walk to school. If we go to the park, I always have one in the pushchair, and I always have one in my handbag. And we just pick up bits that we see. So I don't go litter picking. We don't do it in any kind of organized fashion, but I always have a bag with me. And whenever we see some litter somewhere we were going anyway, we pick it up and dispose of it properly. And that's a really tiny thing that we've changed in our behavior just because I saw someone doing it and thought well that's really obvious now why why wasn't I doing it anyway I haven't got a list I think I have for this year because I'm much more conscious now and I think because we have tackled quite a few things I do now feel like bring it on I, I can do more so I think this year I'm a bit more conscious one thing we're thinking about is whether we could go down to one car that's quite a tricky one for us so we're kind of talking about that and thinking about that what was the other thing um we've sorted the tooth floss dental floss is one of our things we need to work on uh because the plastic free bathroom i think we're there uh, one of our jobs this year is to make more things now our youngest child is three she's slightly less hands-on in that i couldn't have left her for a minute she's our most feral child and <laughs> you really had to have your eyes on her like all the time she's the one who's drawn all over the walls and everything that's broken is entirely due to her and um, she's our most destructive child but now we want to get back we used to make our own peanut butter and our kids love making stuff and being involved and things so I, I think this year is the year we're going to try to do a bit more of that kind of thing I think I'm much more conscious now And I am making lists now of things we want to tackle. But last year it just sort of happened quite, you know, an idea popped in my head and I thought, oh, I wonder how we do that.
0: Have you noticed the people around you, like your friends and your family, have taken on some of these ideas as well? Like you've been having an influence on them.
1: I hope so. Yes, I think so. I mean, I never intended it to be. I I only started a blog to hold myself accountable because I'd always worked. I mean, I've worked since I was 12. So the idea of not bringing money in to to contribute, I've had all sorts of my own, you know, things to think through about how I feel about that, my measuring success. And I really struggled with that. So I thought, well, I have to be accountable. I have to be proving that I'm saving money or I'm paying my own way or something. All pressure for myself, I should add. So I only started the blog to just kind of feel like I was telling someone, yeah, I did do this today. (laughs) Um... (laughs) And it kind of just grew from there, because lots of other people said to me, oh, wow, you know, I'd like to... I need to save money on this. You know, how do you do school shoes cheaper? How do you do um, a birthday party without plastic? You know, how's that even possible? And so I think people do want to do better. From my overwhelm, I started doing these interviews to help me. And loads of people went, oh, yeah, that's really useful. I didn't know there was such a thing as a reusable lunch uh, sandwich bag. You know, I didn't even know that existed. So yes, I think it is a kind of trickle trickle process of of people going, "Oh, that's interesting. I'll look into that." Yeah, I do think I hope um that yeah, that the changes we're making are helping other people to do it the same and making it less scary. Because I mean, my my real passion is to is to remind people that we are just normal, you know, we are very very average. Um there's nothing remarkable about us uh, at all. We're just normal people and we're not getting it all right. You know, I do use my tumble dryer. We do have a diesel car. My son did refuse to walk to school the other day, you know, and, and we're just normal people doing our best.
0: Do you watch school every day?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> and they, and it's totally the aim. Yeah. But what's interesting is we do know that it costs 70p to drive to school. It's conscious that we... going to spend 70p which doesn't sound very much I suppose on a daily basis but what's interesting is one day when it was raining and I said okay so you know what are we going to do and Isaac went and he went and got his money box and he gave me 70p and he said I am not walking (laughs) (laughs) um in that so
0: brilliant Uh, that's great (laughs) so you can share that with your children they know that it costs 70p so they're they're making these decisions with you
1: yeah so I mean I didn't take his money because that's for me to do but um yeah it was it was it was a very conscious choice yeah he would rather pay that day than walk which is you know we're all making choices that's a mindful we? decision it from is him. absolutely and i think that's really powerful actually so yeah i mean it's we have aspirations and then we have reality and they you know they touch each other sometimes but they're not they're not constant friends
0: So what do you think about green energy? Do you think about that much? Have you thought about the type of energy company that you're with? And Yeah, that
1: that was one of our first moves, actually, because that's a really simple move. I mean, you should check your your suppliers every time your contract's up anyway because that's the best way to save money. So we did save quite a stonk of money, but we did also choose to go with green renewable energies. We don't have any solar panels or that kind of thing on the house, and we have looked into that, but... um, I think the investment for us was more than we felt we wanted to do.
0: Yeah. Do you want to give a shout out to your energy company?
1: <laughs> we're with um, Green. It's just called the Green Network Energy. And we did review our contract in January, actually, very recently, and they were still the cheapest option, so we've stuck with them, which is feels good. We were having this discussion of how, if it was more to have the green energy, how much more would we be willing to pay to keep it green than to go with the cheap option. So we didn't come up with a figure because luckily they came back with something um, comparable. But, um, you know, we all have to make these choices, don't we? How much are we willing to sacrifice for, or or pay for the extra? But, yeah, that's, a, that, that's an easy one, an easy
0: switch to make. I noticed you've also got a timer on a, a light. And you can oh, yeah,
1: well, the, <laughs> this wasn't green particularly, but it turns out it was, if you know what I mean. That was a fluky one. When we bought this house, it was derelict and my husband's an electrician and he was away at the time um, in in Afghanistan. So he said to me, as you're working in the house, I had nothing, didn't have any utilities at all. And he said, as you're working and getting stuff done, put a post-it note where you would like a light switch or a plug or whatever as you're kind of using the house. And then when I'm home and I do the rewire the whole house, I'll know where to put it. So he came home and our kitchen has five doors. And so there were post-it notes everywhere. Uh, And I said, well, I need a light. You know, if I'm carrying the washing and I come in that door from the back, I need a light here. And if I'm going upstairs, I'll need a light here. And if I'm coming in from this room and and he went, I can't. If I start channeling out all of this, it's a nightmare job. So he wasn't very impressed with my post-it notes (laughs) selection. So I said, well, what I really want is just for the light to come on when I come in the room and go off when I leave. That's That would be the simplest solution. And he went, well, electrically, that's also the simplest solution because I just put one sensor in the roof. So we have sensors for all the living areas except the bedrooms. And actually, that's really green as well, it turns out, because we don't have lights on if no-one's in the room. And just occasionally we'll have a light go off unexpectedly because we haven't moved. <laughs> um, we haven't moved for long enough. But yeah, that that was a purely practical, uh, an electrician refusing to do the work I asked.
0: Where do you stand on types of food that you eat? Have you got any strong feelings about sort of meat production or... So we're like
1: vegetarian. That? Okay. Um, I have always been vegetarian. Mr. Frugal is not, but... I do most of the cooking, so he eats a largely vegetarian diet. He sometimes throws in the odd sausage or something to appease his inner caveman. And the kids are vegetarian so far. We're going to let... You know, they can choose as they wish, but they're all vegetarian so far, um, which I know is a bit controversial. Um, That's
0: how I grew up as well. Oh, interesting. My mum vegetarian. My dad, like your husband, didn't really eat much meat.
1: Yeah, so... Lots of people worry about the children that they're. You know, you have to meet them to see how not pale and sickly they are. Well,
0: <laughs> um, I, I've been vegetarian all my life. I'm six foot three, and I, I constantly get it when I tell people I'm vegetarian. Oh, how how have you grown so big? How have
1: grown? Yes, yeah, without any protein. Yeah, um, yeah. So the kids are vegetarian. So we don't have a huge amount of meat anyway, and we did go through a phase of bulk buying. There was a company local, funnily enough. It was an online company that sold, um, I don't want to say cheap meat, because that sounds like it's really dodgy or unhealthy, but sold meat cheaply. And so he's got one shelf in the freezer that he's allowed to put meat in. Um, so he would just kind of bulk buy, and that's how he would do that cheaply. I encourage, I mean, on the kids' assembly, that Meat Free Monday is one of the 20, to just try and encourage people to just think about... I think the stats are mostly around beef, aren't they? If if we could just reduce beef, it would have a significant positive impact.
0: Um the amount of land that we need for Yeah, for cows. and
1: and the methane yeah. <laughs> and everything. So and the kids had a cow's milk allergy, so we don't have cow's milk particularly, which was kind of medical led but has just become something we all feel much better about anyway. Yeah.
0: Um, I was really surprised, actually, because I've always I've always been very fond of my cheeses and milks and yogurts and that sort of thing. But lately, I've really not bought any cow's milk, primarily because I've realised that the new nut milks that are out. You can do exactly the same. Like you can make a nice roux sauce, like you can a white sauce with that, and it just acts in the same way as milk does.
1: I mean, when I gave up sugar in tea, I remember that being quite an emotional experience. <laughs> Um, Oh, it it was horrific. But now, if you were to put sugar in my tea, you know, I would hate that. It would would be awful. And so some of it is just an acknowledgement. If we really do have just 12 years to make significant change, then maybe I'm willing to have slightly less nice... I'm kind of... I don't want to ask other people to do things I'm not willing to do. And so... Reducing meat's not particularly something we need to worry about because it's pretty much not there anyway. But reducing perhaps some of the dairy produce is something we can work on.
0: So let's talk about this 12 years. Where's this figure 12 years come from, just so everyone's...
1: So there was a report um, commissioned by the United Nations about climate change. But it looked at quite a broad range of issues. And it looked at the way temperatures are increasing and the rate that that's happening and that that isn't linear. So as soon as um, some of the ice water melts, that process quickens because there's less ice mass yeah. just to kind of keep it cold. And so the rates that things are changing has increased. And what they're suggesting is that in about 12 years we won't be able to stop that rate increasing. Hmm. Then we're into unknown waters, you know, then we're into climate change and the impact of it becoming very unpredictable. Um, but none of it's good, sure. I think, because the, <laughs> the bottom line is n- none of these, n- none of the outcomes of this are going to be nice.
0: Well, I saw recently that the, the four hottest years since records began have been the last four years and people are attributing a lot of the recent tropical storms that, we've, that, that have been huge problems in uh, parts of America or, or in Asia as well, they're attributing those to this climate change already. So we're, they're saying we're already seeing a, a change.
1: Yeah. You know, the people that have been talking about this since... I mean, I remember at school in the 80s, cnd coming and uh we were talking about um cfc gases and we all had to stop using aerosols and i remember having a banner (laughs) um you know i felt really passionately about the hole in the ozone layer you know and that was way back i mean i'm quite old so you know we knew then that these changes were significant and and things had to be done differently and I think the news is that actually the ozone layer has slowly started to repair itself and it's actually quite good news because we changed some of the things that we were doing you know, internationally in terms of air quality. So I think those messages have been around for quite a while. It's whether people feel that they can do anything about it. I think a lot of people feel it's out there.
0: What are the biggest things that you can do as an individual to make a difference? Or do we have to rely on government to change policy and big business to change the, the way that they do things?
1: I think, um, I do think there is a ripple effect. I do think everything we do as individuals can make a difference. And there's a, you know, one of the many, many uh, cool pictures that goes around social media. And it says something like, you know, it's just one straw said 8 million people or whatever. So I do think there is an impact. I, it has to happen at other levels as well. So I don't think me not using paper tissues um, as the only thing that changes is going to have an impact. I think that government bringing some sort of increased cost for landfill, which means my council start to affect what they do, which means I then am impacted and I start making changes too. I think if we all work together, we really can have significant impacts very, very quickly. But I'm You know, I'm happy to write to my MP and I'm happy to get involved in all those sorts of things. But ultimately, I do have to take responsibility for my day-to-day living, and that's what I can contribute. You know, I live a normal life and I, I haven't done enough and I haven't done everything I could do. But all the things we are doing, I do think, help build that momentum, I suppose, around awareness and around making change.
0: Are you involved in much lobbying,
1: no, I'm I, you know, I've got four kids. I I'm grateful if <laughs> I'm grateful if I'm able to remember my own name most of the time. I feel too ordinary, I think. You know, I'm not knowledgeable. I'm not a scientist. I'm a history major. <laughs> um so I don't I don't perhaps feel I have the clout maybe. I can speak for being a parent and I can speak for being an ordinary person and what we experience and what would be helpful for, for us or for me at least. But I don't feel perhaps I have the influence I would like to have on a bigger scale. But I certainly support those people that do and, uh, you know, try to share and try to talk about topics and try to... um, I'm having an interesting back and forth discussion with another parent at school around the use of bleach. Um, and uh, we're both quite, you know, we're both stuck in our camps, but um, I win her over eventually. So <laughs> I'm tackling my own small battles.
0: I do think doing what you're doing it does essentially make a difference. You may say you're not directly involved in lobbying, but the people that you influence and the people that you reach through your, your blog and your social media posts and your assemblies that you do, you know, teaching the next generation essentially – about what is actually happening with our climate. Um, I think that that has to make a difference and some of those people will be going on to lobbying or to at least make different choices in the things that they buy.
1: I hope so. I hope that... I mean, the thing with kids is really powerful for me because that that 12-year thing, even before I'd finished reading, you know, the slightly hyped version, you know, in the papers, I was like, wow, that's... You know, my kids won't even be 20 yeah um when things could get quite dramatically different and that felt very close to home that didn't feel like a faraway thing anymore and so you know they need to be involved in that that's not just their lifetime that's you know the foreseeable future and i hope that by lots of ordinary people you know making change but also demanding change that momentum can can have that impact yeah i think it's really powerful
0: I read one of your blogs, and I think you were talking about a one-in, one-out system.
1: (laughs) For toys.
0: Yeah, a way to teach your children, I suppose, uh, the value of what they have versus what they might want. Do you employ that just with toys, or is that like a a household thing?
1: I don't think I'm kind of... I haven't created a dictatorship yet around toys, but they are very insidious things. They do kind of... And they seem to multiply, Yeah. So, you know, I I think I've got X number of Beanie Boos in the house. And then for some reason, you know, they all come down to play some very elaborate game. And there's hundreds. I mean, you know, where have these ones come from? So the one in, one out started because of the pocket money thing. So we have a chart and you get ticks. And if you get five ticks, that's a pound.
0: What do you get ticks for?
1: So we have an activity every day after school, uh... So it's the library today. Writing, reading, maths—those sorts of. It's half an hour activity, and if you take part in that activity, then you you get your tick. And uh, you can choose. You can choose not to do writing Wednesday, uh, which is just half an <laughs> hour of writing. Um, but you don't get a tick. So it's the family film on Friday. It's not all work. So you get this pound, and then of course they want to spend their pound or two or three or however much they save up. And we tend to do charity shops just because we try to buy second hand. So I just thought, oh, but there's more plastic tat. Yeah. <laughs> it's just more plastic tat. So I started to say, well, maybe we'll take something with us. You know, we'll we'll take one thing and then you can buy one thing more, just to try and keep a lid on the oceans of stuff. Kids like stuff, I, and Anna, I do get that. And a little bit of value, a little bit of thinking about. I mean, one of our kids, it's really interesting. I kind of assumed that people, all of their financial tendencies were learnt behaviours. So either from our the people that raise us or from our life experiences, we, we get attitudes towards money. But I do think some of them are just inherent because two of our kids are very, very close in age, so they've had exactly the same upbringing and influence on the surface. But one of them is a spender and one of them is a saver. And that's just who they are. So some of it was also thinking about the value of things. So our spender would just, bo- just likes to spend money and isn't too bothered what it's on. Yeah. It, it's that ka-ching. Um, so I need to watch him like a hawk <laughs> as he grows up. But, um, so a little bit about being more thoughtful, perhaps, about you know, spending. And he's also a collector, So we came across. um, There's a soft play centre near us, and it has one of those awful machines. So for a pound, you get something out of the machine that you have no control over what comes out. And I think there are seven items in the set. And of course, he's spending a pound, and he may not get. He may get one he's already got, or he may get something he doesn't want, which for me is really foolish, (laughs) really foolish thing. But he's working through that, and he's starting to understand. The value of that, I suppose. So, yeah, I think one in one out for us was very much about just being more conscious.
0: Have your children got to the age where they might be facing social pressures from other children, like, oh, I've got a, I just got this for Christmas.
1: Yeah. What did you get? Yeah, not in terms of brands. I've not heard them talk about. You know, they need a certain type, a certain name item, but definitely in terms of products. So some children, my son isn't 10 yet, he's in year five, and some kids have a phone, have a mobile phone, which is probably, I would imagine, a parent's what you know, old one. I, I don't particularly think they're yeah. buying their own um, iPhone, whatever, numbers. And so we have had a, I might ask Father Christmas for a phone, which we talked about. So there's some pressure to be like you know like that it was interesting because I said well why who who would you phone <laughs> really that was my first question and he said I don't want it to ring anybody I want it to play games on so I was like well you don't actually need a phone for that you know there's a different way to do that we're in a very very tiny school we specifically chose a very very small school so the numbers are very reduced just physically there's only 94 in the whole school um, it's a small school, very very small. So there's eleven in his year. So I, I think it's coming. I'm I'm kind of braced. I'm braced for it. But we already talk about you know that everyone's different and that different families do things differently. I mean, it came up with a tooth fairy actually. So we we someone in the school got five pounds for a tooth, which not going to happen in this house. So we had to think about that and I just said well there's a different tooth fairy for every house so it's just potluck this tooth fairy does a pound you move house (laughs) that's just how it is yeah yeah it's just that's just how it is and you know he hit jackpot because he got the the tooth fairy who's who's obviously won the lottery or something and we have it a little bit with you know that particular child was an only child and we have four so you know sometimes we do do things differently purely because of numbers but I think that's part of learning. That's a life lesson, isn't it? That different families all do different things, have different values, have different priorities, different passions, and that's fine. That's yeah. that's all okay.
0: I think on learning the value of money, I read a, a book recently called Vagabonding. Uh-huh. Vagabonding is a term that I think he came up with, but it's basically he travels the world, he moves to lots of different countries... He's very frugal with his money. So the way he looks at spending is everyone likes to go out for a meal, but he, if he doesn't go out for a meal, that means that he will be able to go to Vietnam and spend mm-hmm. at the price of a, a £30 meal, he would be able to live, you know, that pay his hostel for a week or something like that. So the whole book's about prioritising what you really want to spend your money on and what, Absolutely. what you feel is a good use of your money
1: absolutely and it's a bit of it comes about a little bit back to that whole living in london thing you know you don't have to live in london um <laughs> and you know you are choosing to pay inflated rents and and tell me about it yeah exactly but but you know but you could move because they have accountants in birmingham and they have you know solicitors in edinburgh and they have you know there are other places that you can live and that's why we need to have thought about what our values are so that we can you know they should drive our choices they should help us They should be at the sort of foundation of all of our decision-making. So when we're totally in tune with those, life becomes very simple because you know you know all the answers because you've got in touch with that core of you that that helps you make those decisions. And so helping children to learn what's at their core, and it does change, and it should change. So our values, or I would suggest people think about every seven years how much your values might change. So a seven-year-old probably wouldn't have independence on their list because it's not on their radar 14 year old might well have independence on their list 21 year old 28 you know 30 somethings 40 somethings independence fades away again because you've probably got elements of it for kind of average joe but 70 year old and a 77 year old that might start coming back because they might be being put in situations where they feel their independence is being challenged and so things do ebb and flow and that's normal that's a good thing helping children to think about all of that then helps them make good decisions Mm. um, and helps them to understand that we are all different and it's not right or wrong or better or worse it's just different I think coming back to your question (laughs) is that there's a certain kind of power in that in knowing that that's what you want to spend your £30 on. I mean, our son came home with a letter about a school trip and he put it in the bin. Luckily, because I say they're very close in age, so we get the same letter in duplicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, well, what's that about? And he said, oh, it's not important. So I said, well, letters from school, you kind of have to give it to me. I, I have to see them even if I put them in the bin uh, or in the recycle box. And he said, no, no, I don't want you to read it. It's not important. And I thought, well, you're either in trouble <laughs> of some sort. So I said, well, I said to his sister, is it the same letter? And it was about a school trip. And I said, well, this sounds awesome. Why why would you not think this was important? And he said, well, because if we both go, that's £50. Pounds. He said, and no, I think that's too much. That's a lot of money. And I was kind of sad that he had taken that adult issue and, and made it his. So, But I was kind of glad because... Because he let me know that's what he was thinking we could talk about it. And I said, look, it's not about... We have lots of money, really. If you think about, you know, a global vision, we have loads of money. And so we're really lucky because we can choose what we're going to do with it. And so your dad and I make lots of choices about what's really important to us. And I think this trip is a really good use of our money. Because it's going to be a brilliant day and you're going to learn loads of things, and it sounds really interesting. So that's something we would really support, because we think that's brilliant. Now, if you both wanted to spend £25 on Lego, which you have a lot of, (laughs) and which, you know, perhaps we wouldn't do that. It's not about the money always, it's about using it in a really effective way. And I think we do that as adults, probably not as consciously. We make those decisions. And bringing it back to consciousness is is really useful, I think.
0: When you do the assembly for kids that you were talking about, do you mention mindfulness?
1: Not really. Um, it's 20 ways for kids to save the world. So it's quite, um, you know, try this, try that, try that. Um, it does mention becoming an expert. So it does say, like, actually, you guys can learn. And whatever you're interested in, whether it's science or history or sport or whatever, there'll be some way that that will have meaning in terms of saving the world. And we talk about uh, asking questions a lot. So actually, you guys, it's okay to ask questions of adults because we've monumentally cocked this up, you know. (laughs) This is on us, really. So it's okay for you guys to ask questions and um, need answers about things but I don't really talk about mindfulness it's, it's in primary schools maybe that's another assembly we need on nah, that but it doesn't it's a bit more practical I suppose but I like the idea of that
0: what you said about asking questions I, I think that's something that every child needs to be told is a good thing and I feel sorry for for teachers who are stuck in classrooms with 30 or 35 Maybe sometimes it goes up to about 40 children I think and they're not going to have the time to mm. devote to every child if they want to ask questions so quite often they're told to just sh- shut up, sit down, listen and they never get a chance to really ask the question And um, I felt I was quite lucky I've always been encouraged to ask questions and then if, if my parents didn't know the answer they would in the old days look it up in a encyclopedia so yeah I've grown up inquisitive but I, I've noticed a lot of people because they're told as children not to Not to ask questions, they don't, and I feel that's really sad. And we need to. We have toys
1: with homeschooling quite a lot, not because I'm uh, sort of passionate for it. I quite like going to school, Um, (laughs) but just because I do feel that the current system doesn't encourage a kind of just a passion for learning as for learning's sake, it sort of encourages passing tests, many of whom seem a bit arbitrary from my perspective. So we have these spelling lists, you know, and we work on them and and we kind of, like, kind of roll our eyes at each other, you know. This is a word you're never going to need, you're never going to spell. It's, you know, completely stupid. I, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the education system at the moment. The kids love going to school and it's a lovely school and I think they are learning lots of really important things. So I'm not going to take them out just for my, my kind of benefit. It does worry me that there isn't that space and time for learning in its broadest sense and as you say that you know that that, that one question doesn't always lead to another and um, it leads to a, a, you know an answer and that's the end of that and I think that is yeah I think that is a shame I think as well lots of adults feel that they should be able to answer all questions and I think it's quite a confident person that says I don't know <laughs> I don't know mm. let's look together you know let's find out And so I think a lot of adults feel quite scared of children asking them questions because they feel that they're somehow not up to the grade if they can't answer them. You know, as parents, perhaps, we're given this impression that we ought to be this kind of oracle for our children, and I think it's totally fine to say, I don't know.
0: What we said before about a lot of parents working such long hours, when they get home, they might not have the time to spend with the kids. I think that's... that's sometimes be quite sad because at school you learn so much but then at home it's great if your parents can have the time and the energy to be able to teach you the things that they think are important for example they can show you how gardening works and you can get involved in nature a little bit and you can plant uh, some potatoes and then a few months later you can eat them do you grow your own food
1: that's a future plan i have to say time and energy when you have lots of little ones is the biggest cost i think so they each have their own pot so we do grow every year they can choose what they'd like to grow sort of in the spring and they each have a pot but the garden is mostly grass because mostly they just run around screaming from what i can tell (laughs) um so in their pots so last year we had you know tomatoes and beans and courgettes and and things like that and that's about my limit at the moment in terms of time and energy. We do aspire to do more. I always thought I'd have an allotment. That's one of the things I always assumed I would do Um, because I love gardening and I love growing things. So, And I think perhaps when they're all a little bit older and the fear of them running off is slightly less, so perhaps another year. I'm really looking forward to this summer holiday because I think this will be the first year for a little while that we can be slightly more adventurous because because the feral issue is slightly more under control um <laughs> it's really important children know where food comes from you know what it's made of so quite often in our veg box we'll get the odd thing you know i'm not eating that or we get i mean we've got a pineapple uh, this week which is very exciting i'm sure there are loads of kids i've never seen a pineapple you know in its natural state they've seen chunks or you know they know the taste of it from products but they might not have seen so i think it's really important that that we understand the cycle you know the food cycle and the growing cycle we are starting a gardening club at school though we're trying to get our green blue peter badges and there is a patch of land that's not used for anything in particular so we're going to try and, and get them i think it's a really good skill i think as well we've lost a bit of touch with what children need to become independent adults. You know, and some of the skills that we could be teaching, there isn't room for, because we've packed it full of things that I, I don't see as especially useful <laughs> in life. You know, we can all think of things we learnt at school that we've never, ever needed as adults, and it would be quite useful, I think, to, to do that in reverse and say, what have we used as adults? What would be really useful um, to learn? And I can think of quite a long list of things that are nowhere near our curriculum currently.
0: A lot of teachers would agree with that sort of sentiment that if they teach a chemistry class, they no longer have the agency to teach that chemistry class the way they want to do it, because everything's got so prescribed. Absolutely. And I think it's the reason why a lot of teachers are leaving the profession. Did you hear about that subsidy recently? They're going to start paying uh teachers i think it's five thousand pounds after they've been in the job for three years Mm. just as an extra thing and most of the teachers have just come back and said this isn't the reason that we're leaving it's because of the ridiculous amount of paperwork that we now need to do and the lack of freedom that we have absolutely we we love to teach the kids but we're not able to do it in an efficient way
1: i mean the, the the first parents evening uh when this new spelling list came out it's quite soon. They start in the September and I think it's in October. So quite quickly you get to kind of touch base with with the teacher. And uh, well, she just said, I'm sorry, you know, these aren't the spellings I am setting. They're coming from government and this is the list. And she saw it in the summer holidays and wept, you know, because she's the one who's got to deliver. Yeah. Uh, and so I think the the pressure on people who've gone into a profession and I I. I I feel quite strongly about teachers. It's also a much maligned profession, actually. You know, I don't think teachers are given the respect or, you know, every parent thinks that they know best when actually these are the professionals who've trained, you know, and and know about um, how to teach and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure teachers would love a lot more freedom. It took off in tangents as well. I mean, when I was lecturing, you know, you're in a group and sometimes things come up that are relevant for that particular group, but aren't on the curriculum because they may not be relevant generally, and to not be able to meet that need, because you have to cover X, Y, Z is absolutely soul
0: destroying. I think that adds a lot of enjoyment as well for the children. Mm. If if you're enjoying it as a teacher, being able to tell them the story or t- teach them in a in a particular way, you they can sense that enjoyment and that enthusiasm, and that can I remember from the teachers that I had that that, that did that it made the whole lesson a lot more fun. And I'm pretty sure there's research. In fact, I I did a podcast with someone who was a a specialist in learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was saying that if you associate positive emotions with with the neutral facts that you're learning, you're more likely to remember them. Mm -hmm. So if you've got, if you've got a teacher enjoying it and you know you're having fun then surely it's going to be a more effective lesson
1: and i think you're also creating that inquisitive nature you know that we need you know we need scientists and we need people who who are able to deal with complex information and and all that kind of thing and i think by create by standardizing everything i don't actually think that ultimately does get us what we need because we're not stand you know we're not all the same we're not standard we're not standard you know we're not even all born at the same weight or at the same day you know we're not all born at however many days you know we're all completely different from conception i suppose or whenever and so by trying to cram everyone into that one size fits all it's a bit of a nonsense if you think about it and i'm sure to differentiate to 30 people unique beings in a room is is equally impossible so it's it's you know, it's an incredibly complex issue. But certainly as a parent, I kind of feel at the minute we've, we've edged too far towards the structure and we've lost a little bit of the passion for learning, just for learning's sake, just because it's an interesting thing to do. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a shame.
0: I'm really interested... What worries you the most, just in general? Is it the education of the children, or is it the proposed twelve years until our, our climate changes so far that we can't reverse it? Or are, are there other problems like the plastic problem that, that fills a lot of your time with? What's how do you decide which uh, which area that you need to devote a lot of your time to?
1: I think that's a really tricky question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the 12-year thing for me was really shocking, just just as a number, to have a number. And I think the lack of international response really scared me that no-one really, you know, nothing dramatic happened at that point. So I think for me, I think it's the environmental... And I, I guess I would see plastic as part of that and education as part of that, you know, that we have to make some major changes and we have to do it quite i mean 10 to 20 years in in history is actually a really quick piece you know in a really short space of time we have to do some really dramatic things and i don't i don't see that happening so i suppose awareness raising is probably my biggest thing at the minute it's sort of popping people's bubble and saying you know what's going on over here and then how you can affect change in a manageable way. Now I've thought about it out loud. I think it's making people who are so embroiled in their everyday, which is where I was, you know, where I've been, you know, they're almost on a treadmill of kind of head down, get to the end, start again tomorrow. And perhaps finding a way to support people to snap out of that, And have a bit of a reality check about what's really important and yeah how to do that with kindness I suppose Uh, I think depending how the next 12 years goes we're all told tomorrow that we can't do this and we can't do that yeah that's a painful way to go about it isn't it to have kind of enforced change it would be really nice if we could work now to make those dramatic changes as least painful as possible I mean, if you said to me tomorrow, diesel cars are gone, you, you can't have those, and you took them away, I mean, that would be hugely unhelpful to me. But maybe that's what has to happen. You know, maybe that, that would force me. And I'm fairly active um, at making change. You know, that would force me to do something about it. I wouldn't have any choices anymore. And so I, I would much prefer the the kind route by people putting putting the effort in now than what I think... Is probably more likely, which is the painful stuff that might come later.
0: Is there anything going on at the moment that fills you with confidence in people? One of the examples I've read about recently quite a lot is um, Elon Musk. He, so he, what he's done recently is he's released every patent for Tesla. His reasoning behind that is that the primary reason that he uh, started this company was to make better use of re- renewable energy, and to bring that to the mainstream and so that people were able to drive electric cars rather than polluting the atmosphere and essentially it was a his effort to provide the the planet with renewable energy and and he feels like it's selfish to keep that for profit margins to keep those patents to themselves so they've released these saying we can't make enough electric cars for everyone let's give everybody the ideas so that they can go away and expand on those ideas and now there'll be more cars able to be produced at a cheaper and cheaper rate so that we can all have electric cars relatively mm. soon there's certain individuals in the world that are doing something positive he's still going to make bags and bags of cash and i'm sure that statements like that are going to incentivize people to buy his product but he seems to be doing something for the right reasons.
1: Yeah. I think there are hundreds of millions of wonderful people doing excellent things and I wish 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 that there was much more focus on that on mm. on all of the extraordinary inventions and ideas and I I think if people knew more of the positive that was going on we would feel more empowered to join in because I think when you feel good about something you know, I mean, someone said to me, well, I'll do what you say because you're so happy about it. You know, you don't make it sound like a difficult thing or a, or a miserable thing, you know, oh, we don't have paper tissues anymore and so it's awful because, yeah. you know, I, I think I think if, if we meet people who are doing great things and they're happy about it, you know, then that makes us think, oh, well, maybe I'll try that. So I've met loads. I'm really enthused at the moment by the woman who is making oil mats out of hair, human hair and pet hair, So these are for oil spills in the ocean and you put these mats down and hair naturally repels water but soaks in oil. This is just genius, really. Uh, It's taking waste products and making them exceptionally useful. It's a brilliant idea. It's awesome. And there's just loads of people like that, you know, doing incredible things. But also just the people I've met, ordinary people like I say, Mu, who just takes old clothes that nobody wants anymore and turns them into something else that people do want. I think there's loads and loads of good in the world, just loads. And I actively seek it out because I, th- I think I'm aware of when I hear lots of negative, it does affect how I feel. And so I'm actively choosing to pay more attention to the positive news and fill my feed with that.
0: Well, you absolutely summed up exactly why i've why I've started this podcast. Uh, I do just want to find out all of these people like yourselves who are doing some positive work for the environment, for other people. It fills me with a lot of passion to be able to come and speak to people like you and I suppose that one of the reasons that I started was because I see a lot of negative like you say a lot of negative energy that is either on social media or in the news. And I don't think that is actually representative of what is happening. There is a, a huge amount of people trying to do something good, like yourself, that need bigger platforms. So I hope that I can help.
1: Oh, thank you. I wouldn't have put myself uh, in that bracket, I have to say. But um, definitely choose what you're going to allow in. Not that the bad things aren't happening in the world, but that they don't need my, atten- they don't need my energy. You know, yeah. I'm going to put my energy to something else.
0: That's great. Uh, is there anything else that you want anyone to know, or maybe where to find you online on social media? Yeah, so
1: I'm on. Um, so we have a website, which is all the Ws and then thefrugalfamily.co.uk. And I try to keep that kind of up to date. But the world does seem to be moving more to social media. So we have a Facebook page, and we're on Twitter quite a lot. We have a Twitter chat every Friday with a topic each week on something relevant. So that's twelve to one every Friday on Twitter. And we're also on Instagram. I love Instagram. I love, um, and again, you know, pick your feed carefully. I just love it. it's very colourful and it's not too much reading. You know, it's quite a quick fix. Um, so, yeah, we're on Instagram as well.
0: Anything else that you need to tell people?
1: No, do good. Be kind.
0: Good messages. Right. Thank you so much for coming on to the Fascinate podcast.
1: Thank you for Great. coming all this way to meet me.
0: So that was Claire Lyons from The Frugal Family. If you want to know more about them, you can go to www.thefrugalfamily.co.uk. On there, they have a ton of information, in the form of blog posts, guides. There's even an e-course entitled Easy Ways to Zero Waste. And you can have a look at the variety of talks and workshops that you can book her to do. Oh yeah, also get her on Twitter, at The Frugal Family. And I also want to say thank you to Laura James. The music that you're listening to now is her track, Rooftops. You can go and check her out at laurajamesmusic.co.uk. You can find her on Spotify. If you want to see some of the amazing music videos that she's made, look her up on YouTube. That's about it from me, but hit that subscribe button. Leave me some feedback, it really means a lot. So thanks for everyone who's done that already. You can follow me on Twitter, at FascinatePod. Until next time... Bye-bye.